Right, good morning, everyone. Good, good to see you. Uh, so, freedom, failure, and forgetfulness. We've just had the usual two minutes of silence that we have on Remembrance Sunday. In the days of yore, when I was pastor here, I sometimes would sit and think to myself, is it something we should be doing in church? Spent standing for two minutes. Is, is, is it what the church should be engaged with? And so I think about it, and the conclusion that I would always come to, always, was that yes, we should be doing it. Why? Well, firstly, for the very obvious reason, which has been already spoken about this morning, we need to remember those who gave their lives to fight a great evil. But we also need to remember the true nature of evil, its barbarity, its cruelty, and its utter disdain for the commands and will of God. Sadly, it seems that so often in the world in which we live, this fallen world, which has turned its back on God, that evil can only be defeated by the shedding of blood. It's a sad, sad truth about our world. And we should remember those who shed their blood for us. Of course, we as Christians know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement we understand that we understand that Jesus came and shed his blood for us for most of us I would dare to suggest that we probably had a fairly comfortable life we live in a comfortable country do we not and for most of us if not all of us we probably never had a day when we unwillingly went hungry. We may have had a day when we chose to fast, we went hungry, but we probably never had to go hungry because there was no food around. Some of you may have experienced that, um, but certainly I haven't, and I don't think most of us have. And for most of us, I would think, we've probably lived our lives without there being a day when we felt that our life was under threat. I know that sometimes, you know, you get a headache and you think, oh, my life's over. But I'm not talking about that sort of thing. You know, when we really felt that somebody wanted to do us violent harm. But the truth is that many people around the world live in that sort of situation every day. And we're not just the only country like that. There are other countries that have that same experience. It's very easy to forget the nature of evil, true evil, to become complacent, to forget just how malignant and depraved true evil is. And sadly, we've had a reminder of that in the last few weeks. We don't understand how desperate it is to live in a time or in a land where wickedness and violence stalk the land and where life becomes cheap. Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, we need to remember that these monsters do rise up from 
time to time, and they're not the only ones. And cruel dictators are not the sole province of fascists. Communists have also provided their fair share of mass murderers. The freedom we enjoy is not ours by right. It rather belongs to those who paid the price for it. My own father was wounded in the war. He was in Greece in 1940-something, two, one, two, something like that. And uh, he was bombed and he took two shrapnel wounds in the shoulder and lower down. And he was then in a prisoner of war camp uh, for some considerable time, eating very, very short rations. He knew what it was to go hungry. He certainly knew what it was to have his life under threat. And the generation that lived at that time also knew it. My mother lived through, through the Blitz and uh, worked in a munitions factory. So they understood something. You know, my dad never moaned about it. He didn't talk about it much, but when I could get him talking, I never heard him say, I wish I hadn't fought. I wish I hadn't been taken captive. I never heard him express those sentiments because he understood that freedom is something that has to be fought for. He understood the nature of the evil that he was fighting, and he counted it as something that simply had to be done. There's the old saying, isn't there? For he, evil to triumph, it only re- needs good men to do nothing. Evil is always at work, and complacency, I suggest, is the enemy of freedom. It's dangerous for Christians to think that what goes on in the world will have no impact on their lives, that we can dwell in some puddle of peace. That is not the truth. Jesus said this, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. In other words, this world is in tribulation and we are going to face that at times. And we need to recognize that. So, if complacency is the enemy of freedom, then remembrance is the enemy of complacency. And that's why I believe it's vital to remember and to consider two things that really help us in that as Christians. First is, of course, the Bible, history. For example, the martyrs who died. Do you know how many martyrs died in this country for their faith? It's a lot. It's a lot. Do the names Latimer and Ridley mean anything to you? Take William Tyndale for an example. William Tyndale was the first person to translate the New Testament directly from Greek, directly from Greek, to English. He was executed on October the 6th, 1536. He was strangled, burned, and his body was blown apart by gunpowder. They really didn't like this guy. But at some point before his death, he cried out, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Open the King of England's eyes. See, it's because of people like that that we have our freedom. And don't forget, it was a part of the church that was doing this. It wasn't just unbelievers. This was the church doing this. And I know I've said this before, but just bear with me a sec. Imagine a time when you could not read the Bible in your own tongue. Have you ever turned to Psalm 23 and found great comfort? Have you ever turned to one of the other Psalms and found enormous comfort? Have you ever read through the Gospels and been thrilled with what Jesus did and spoke about? Imagine not being able to do that in your own tongue. 
but having to do it in, in Latin or something like that, and probably not even having access to that. It's because of Tyndale and others who shed their blood that we now can read the Bible. Freedom is never cheap. And easy Christianity is dangerous. So it's vitally important to remember the freedoms we enjoy were bought with the price of blood. Now I'll start to get a bit lighter now. Okay. God is a great fan of remembering. Great fan of remembering. He was always keen for the children of Israel to remember the commandments. Why? Because to forget the commandments led them to bondage. Freedom is always linked to obedience to God. Always. You disobey God, you lose freedom. Nations that disobey God end up in bondage. Individuals that disobey God end up in bondage. Freedom's always linked to doing God's will because he's the author of freedom. Okay, so he's a great fan of remembering. Let's turn to this scripture. Numbers 15. So God said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corner of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You'll have these tassels to look at, and so you'll remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own heart and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, when we read this, you see, he says this. I want you to make tassels on the corners of your garment and put a blue cord in each tassel. And nowadays, I think they have a special prayer shawl with these tassels on. But as you read the scripture, it looks to me like all their garments should be like this. That this was just something they should put on all their garments. That there was a constant reminder, oh yeah, I better obey the commandment of God. I better obey the commandment of God. The tassel, as I said, the tassel would have blue thread woven through, it, woven through it. That was to remind them of the commands, but it was also to remind them of something else. Let's have a look at this. Then he took the book of the covenant and read to the people. They responded, we'll do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, remember those? And the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. What color is sapphire? Blue. Absolutely. It certainly is. So it was, it reminded, the blue reminded them of the uh, commandments, but it also reminded them of this pavement that was under God. It reminded them that this is like God's throne fascinating isn't it that even today uh, I need to I'm getting ahead of myself a bit let me read this one out now but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites they saw God and they ate and drank the Lord said to Moses come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction There's something very interesting about this. Even today, have I got the right? Yeah, even today, Israel's flag is white with a blue and white background. The blue is very important to the nation. By the explicit word of God, the color blue was to remind them of the commandments and 
the throne of God. And the, the idea was that everywhere they went and every day they're out, they should be reminded of this all the time. You'll recall in Luke 8.43, we read this. This is 8.44, but I do have it in 43 and 44 a bit later on. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Do you remember that? The woman with initial blood, she touched Jesus' cloak and her bleeding stopped. Came up behind him. It's very interesting. Here's the word for, for, for edge. Uh, it's kraspedon in Greek. And the Cambridge Bible for School says of this, the word translated border or edge Kraspidon in Hebrew, Sitzith, is a tassel at each wing or corner of the mantle or cloak. In the New Testament, a tassel or a tuft. The Jews had such of the mantle or cloak made of twisted wool, a tassel or a tuft. The Jews had such appendages attached to their mantles to remind them of the law. So this word Kraspidon means extremity or prominent part of a garment the edge the skirt like this little appendage and so this woman touched the edge of his cloak she touched the craspidon when she reached out to touch jesus she didn't just touch him anywhere she touched the craspidon she touched the edge she touched these tassels if you like When she did, in faith, she touched what was there to remind the people of Israel of the commandments of God. With the blue in the cord, she touched what was there to remind the children of Israel of the throne of God. When she touched the edge of his garment, she touched the God of the throne. And I find this just such a beautiful picture. She touched the cord that reminded them of the commandments. She touched the color in the thread that reminded them of the throne and she touched the God of the throne all in one go. No wonder she was healed. Hallelujah. She touched them in faith. Those of you who were there when we looked at um, Mark a couple of of weeks ago, uh, I think it's just two weeks, isn't it? Yeah. My talks are like London buses. You don't get one for ages and then you get two come together. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. These crowd wanted to touch the edge of his garment. What did they want to touch? They wanted to touch the craspidon. And this is because it reminded them of God. Now, the picture we often get with this is that they were all accidentally touching Jesus. They were just kind of, you know, touching him all over. But it doesn't say that. It says they wanted to touch the edges of his cloak. They didn't touch his shoulders. They didn't touch his arm. They didn't touch his back. They wanted to touch the edge of the cloak. They wanted to touch the craspidon. I think we need to give them credit for rather more intelligence than we sometimes think. They knew that those tassels, that edge of his garment, they knew that it represented the commands of God. That's what they wanted to touch. That's what they wanted to touch. They wanted to touch that. Now, if you remember... Way back uh, when we looked at this, that the commandment, the stone that contained the Ten Commandments, was hewn out of the rock that was under God's feet. So they say the, the, 
the plaques of the Ten Commandments were actually made out of sapphire. They were blue. And other people agree with them. And one of the reasons they do that is because of this. See, he says, I will give you the tablets of stone. Now, that's a definite article. It's referring to something specific. And people say the only other reference to stone in this passage is the stone pavement that was under God's feet. So there is some thinking that the Ten Commandments were written on sapphire, that the Ten Commandments were blue. Isn't that amazing? Now, you might not... Uh, actually accept that I'm not sure that I 100% accept it but I think it's a very very interesting point to make and it is certainly possible that the, the tablets that God gave to Moses were blue so they get that blue again so it was all the time this reminder of God's throne so move moving on then so another another um Passage of remembrance. Why remembrance is so important. Here we go. This is quite long, but I'm not going to do a complete exposition on it, so don't worry. I just want to pick out one or two points. So Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. This is the children of Israel coming into the promised land. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight, or the camp. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones to the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this. It's a long passage. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their first month. The people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they'd taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground ground for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over the Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so you might always fear the Lord your God so they set up these stones as a memorial see God knows what we're like he knows we're prone to forget and some of us are more prone to forget these days than others but we, we know that. We, we forget. 
Each of the stones was a reminder of the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, the number 12 occurs five times between, just, between verses 1 and 9 in Joshua 4. Emphasizing, it emphasizes the unity of the tribes. It's making the point, the tribes, the tribes, the tribes. This river was in flood when they crossed it. It was an amazing miracle. And it was amazing faith because they had to step out into the water. You all know this very well. With the, with the ark of God. And as soon as they did... It just stopped. And so they needed to remember this. They needed to remember what God had done for them. Bruce Waltke says this in his new Bible commentary. He says, remembering the past plays a vital role in the identity of any nation. Sociologists claim that a society aspiring to endure must become a community of memory and hope. And I think that's why we have forces today in our land that want to destroy our history because it destroys your identity. If you wipe out history, it destroys your identity. So God repeatedly directs ancient Israel to set up monuments and enact rituals, such as the Passover, for example. And each tribute marks a significant historical memory that he wanted them to keep in their minds and would give them hope. Remembering what God has, has done in the past always gives hope for the future. Now, it may interest you to know that when these 12 men picked up these stones and they carried them to Gilgal, they carried them eight miles. That's a fair way to be carrying a stone. Eight miles to walk is a fair walk. But to be carrying a stone at the same time, that's a fair walk. These stones were not placed on the bank of the river. They were carried to the camp. One of Wearsby comments, this heap of 12 stones was a reminder of what God did for his people. The Jews were great believers in teaching the next generation about Jehovah and his special relationship to the people of Israel. To an unbeliever, the heap of 12 stones was simply another stone pile. But to believing Israel, it was a constant reminder that Jehovah was his or her God, working his wonders on behalf of his people. Future generations, so that the memory, because memory gets lost after about two generations. And we're at that point now, because my dad fought in the war. Obviously, I grew up with my dad, so that I'm the second generation. It's the third and fourth. That's when times get a bit tricky. But one, one other thing I want to note before I just uh, begin to move on a little bit. I don't know whether you know this. There were two piles of stones set up on that day. Did you know that? Yeah. There was one in the camp, and there was another pile of stones in the middle of the Jordan. Two piles of stones set up. And I can confirm that. Uh, nine. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. So there were two piles of stones that were set up. One in the middle of the Jordan, one in the camp. Bear that in mind. Because one memorial is seen. The other memorial is not seen except by God. It disappeared. It was hidden. This memorial marked the entrance of Israel into the land. It marked their entrance into rest, or, or should have been rest, into peace, or should have been peace, into a land full of milk and honey. It marked that. So they had two markers, one when they came out, one when they went, one they, when, they, when they went in. It wasn't complex memorial. It wasn't like these, you know, it wasn't any Arc de Triomphe. It wasn't some great memorial. It was just a heap of stones 
Why would God do that? Why wouldn't he want them to make a memorial? Because God didn't want any tool on it. God didn't want any human hand on it. He wanted it to be natural. And also he wanted it to be a memorial of faith, you see, because it's always the way with God. People say, oh, I wish God would do something amazing that unbelievers have to, have to believe. You know, he doesn't do that. He just doesn't do that. He just gives enough for faith. Those who have faith will see the memorial and be blessed. Those who have no faith will miss it and not be blessed. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And it was fairly common practice in the ancient world. It's still common practice today. If you ever walked up a mountain, what do you get? You get cairns, heaps of stones to guide you, tell you where the path is. When, when it's snowing, it's just fairly basic. But that was what they had to remember. So moving on then, and I'll come back to this a little bit. Do we as Christians have a memorial? Do we have that? I think we do, first of all. Oh, that's, that, you know, I knew I'd put that in there. <laughs> if I'd have just clicked on, you know, yeah. Only people who do talks know what a chump you can be sometimes when you, you're talking. They are there to this day, see? You know, there you are. See, I forget, I need a reminder. Anyway, do we as Christians have a memorial? Audience of communion, it's the first one. Communion remembrance of me it's a memorial of the audience of communion and Jesus said do this in remembrance of me it's a memorial and we reiterate those words every time we hold communion it's an ordinance meant to remind us of all that Jesus did for us at his death or in his death and of course by extension all that he's done for us in the resurrection so it's a, communion is a declaration of the death of Jesus, not just to us, but to principalities and powers. Communion reminds us of sin and the power of sin in that it took the death of the Son of God to rescue us. It reminds us of the desperate nature of sin, that it is wholly corrupting that only the death of the Saviour could rescue us because there's none that seeks God of his own accord no not one Psalm 14 3 it reminds us of our own guilt it reminds us that without a savior we would be eternally lost it reminds us of the wickedness of man in putting the son of God to death it reminds us of the terrible price that the Lord was willing to pay to redeem us from our sins it reminds us of the terrible price that the father was willing to pay to redeem us from our sins it reminds us that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Only the righteousness of Christ is of any value. It reminds us of the inherent justice in the injustice in the world. For the just had to die for the unjust. It reminds us that sinful man hates the righteousness of God for he crucified the righteous Messiah. It reminds us as well that religion can be a deadly force because the religious people were very much behind it. It reminds us of the love of God that whilst we did not love him, he loved us and sent his son to die for us. It reminds us of the grace of God that was that, that he would condescend to rescue a humanity that had abandoned him. It reminds us of the mercy of God that we would we have not paid the penalty of sin, but his son did. It reminds us of the justice of God that God it never just pardons sin has to be paid for it reminds us of the holiness of God that he could not look on his son as he put the sin of the world on him it reminds us of the righteousness of God in all that he does it reminds us that God is omnipotent nothing there was nothing anyone could do to stop this it reminds us of the sweet humility of Christ in obedience to God and love for a fallen world 
it reminds us that all is all that is prophesied in scripture will come to pass now that's just a few things that the cross reminds us of it's our reminder that god has delivered us from our egypt the world just as passover was reminded to israel that god had delivered them from egypt and he's delivered us into our promised land not just in spirit but in body hallelujah it's a reminder he'll fulfill his work to us just as he did to israel if he keeps his work to israel he'll keep his work to us that's one scene what hidden we have hope that is seen we can see one another we can see some of the things that god's done for us but we also have a hope and a future that's hidden it's in heaven we can't see it that's in in the river i see because the one that's hidden is hidden it can't be touched can't get into the river and touch it we're hidden god can't be touched hallelujah so is communion i must move on is communion the only reminder no we are living reminders, I venture to say. Remember the garment and the tassels? They looked at one another and they were reminded of the commands of God. And in the spirit, we have something similar. What do we have? We have the robe of righteousness. As we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wear that robe, as we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wear it as it were, it, we, we act out God's throne within us. As, as we walk in the spirit, people see that God lives in us, that he reigns in us. And we look at one another and we are reminded. That's why body ministry is, is so good. Because all sorts of different people come up and they remind you different ways of the goodness of God. But we also have preaching and teaching, reading the word, our testimony of what God has done for us and, and, and for others. All of this is meant to remind us all the time. That's why Christian fellowship is so vital. It's not good to live on your own and not have Christian fellowship. You need the reminder because why? You forget. Otherwise, you forget what God's like. You forget what he's done. Hallelujah. The more we remember what God's done, yeah, you think he'll do that for me. That's why testimony is so great. But God did it for her. He'll do it for me. Hallelujah. So from the, the hem of our garment hangs the blue cord, hangs the blue cord, the reminder of God's commandments and the reminder of God's throne. Um, and as individuals, I'm nearly, I'm, I'm nearly coming to a close now, as individuals we can remember um, things. Some people put scriptures on the wall, don't they? Yeah. I, I forever remember, I think one of Beryl's relatives had this scripture in the toilet, be you steadfast and movable. Yeah, you remember that? Always used to, always used to tickle me that, you know. Um, but, you know, you, you get them you, on, on, on the mantles, wouldn't, you know, in, in God we trust and all others pay cash and, and all this sort of stuff. You know, you, you get these reminders. Some people do it like that. Some people knit things and crochet things or sew things and that reminds them. Some people keep a diary, they, 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 they uh, what's, what's they call, they journal a lot, you know. Um, yeah, it didn't work for me, that, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I can never read my own writing, so it's a fat waste of time. But what I do is, is I've adopted memorizing quite a number of scriptures, and every morning I give thanks to God. I have a whole, whole bunch of things that I give thanks to God for, 
just in 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 material terms but in spiritual terms you know thank you god i'm hidden with you christ jesus thank you jesus christ and I go, and so on and so forth and i go through them and it, it it reminds me and i give thanks for them and it's always a joy when i get something else something new to give thanks for oh that's a new one god nailed it this morning so that that's the sort of thing we can do to remind ourselves of what god has done so they yeah, are developing habits that act as reminders. It'll be different for everybody. Some of you might want to carve a notch in your finger or, or tie, tie a rubber band around your neck or, you know, all sorts of things. You know, you can, you can be as inventive as you like on this, you know, but don't put yourself in danger, obviously. Finally, 1 John five nineteen. We know that we are of God. And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And you've heard me speak on this before. Greek means lies asleep in the arms of the evil one. That's what the Greek means, literally. And of course, if you're asleep, you don't remember anything, do you? You know, it's like if there's a storm and Beryl says to me, oh, did you hear that storm? Nope. Nope. Slept right through it. You don't remember think if you're asleep see the devil is a great fan of forgetfulness he wants us to forget what God has done he wants us to forget the people who paid uh, for our freedom with their blood he wants us to forget the cost of freedom he wants us to forget all that yeah no play a computer game and forget yeah watch antiques roadshow and forget yeah watch this film and forget yeah read your book and forget 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 that's his constant thing he wants us all to be asleep so we don't remember any of these things. Memory is hugely important in maintaining identity. And it's sad to me that some sections of the church today are losing their identity because they've forgotten what God's done. They've forgotten his commandments. And they've forgotten his word. And when humanity or the church forgets, it is on course for failure. It is on course for failure. By the grace of God, may that never happen to us. May we always have in mind what God has done for us. Make a point for it, lest we forget. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. And I pray that uh, I've fulfilled your calling, Lord, which is to put the people of God in mind, as well as to put myself in mind. So thank you for helping me to study this, Lord. Bless this word to us, Lord. May we never remember. May we always have it in our mind that you paid the ultimate price for us, but other people have paid a price as well. May we always be grateful, God, and may we be worthy of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Hanley.